This is the Soil Sense podcast where we believe that building healthier soils is not just a prescription, but rather a pursuit. It's a journey that requires collaboration, curiosity, and communication among farmers, researchers, agronomists, consultants, and extension. You're going to hear their stories and discover how and why they're working together to make sense out of what's happening in the soil. Hello, thank you so much for downloading another episode of Soil Sense. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Now, before we get started today, if you're listening to this around the time this episode comes out, the Dirt Workshop is next week. Dr. Abby Wick and I will be live from Fargo, and I hope you'll be joining us. Registration is open to anyone interested, and the lineup is phenomenal. That's next week, December 8th and 9th. Make sure you register today at www.dirtworkshopnd.com. Now, interest continues to rise in the concept of incorporating livestock into production systems. And today's episode is about some on-farm experimentation being done with bale grazing as a way to manage cattle efficiently and also improve soil health. We have on the show Aaron and Drew Gogler. They're brother and sister from a family ranch in southwest North Dakota. After going to school in Wyoming and working in oil fields, Drew has returned to the family ranch full time. Aaron is still actively involved in the operation and works full time as a range research specialist at NDSU's Central Grasslands Research Extension Center near Streeter. Through funding from a SARE grant, they have been experimenting with this concept of bale grazing. We talk about in this episode their findings from implementing this approach, including how it has impacted their soil health and the performance of their cattle. We also talk about their experience of working with SARE, which stands for the Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Program. But first, what exactly is bale grazing anyway? We start our episode with Aaron providing a definition. It entails taking bales and spreading them out across whichever environment you're focusing on. And for us, it was renovating some cropland acres that would eventually be turned into hayland production into a perennial system. When we do that, the hay that's produced there, if there's any produced there, stays on that area. And depending on how many cattle we're feeding, sometimes we need to bring in more feed to be able to feed them throughout that winter period. And those bales are spread out and distributed. They get tipped on end in the late fall, just prior to grazing. And we put up temporary fences and section off so many bales in each section. So that way the cattle only have access to a certain number of bales for about seven to 10 days. I mean, a lot of those details you can sort those out however you want to. That's, I guess, what we've realized has been a real benefit, and we can talk about that more, is that bale grazing can be set up in lots of different ways, depending on your interest, your resources, and your commitment to time involved with it, or wanting to have less to do with it. And so once those temporary fences are put up, we'll do a back fence just in case the cows or the sheep break through that first fence and get into the second fence. But basically... It's as simple as that. The sections are put up, the cows or the other livestock are turned into one section at a time. They graze their way through the bales and you just open up into the next section and basically implement the same idea as strip grazing. Once that section's opened up, they continue to have access to that section as they travel back and forth to water 
so they can pick through that residue on nicer days as snow melts down, those sorts of things. And as Aaron mentioned, we will talk more about the different ways this can be done and what's worked best for Aaron and Drew's operation. But first, let's sort of set the scene a little bit here on what led them into looking into bale grazing in the first place. We wanted to reduce our labor in the winter because typically in this area, people would plug in a tractor and I mean that costs electricity, plug it in overnight, go out, start it. By the time it's warmed up, you go out and you feed your cows for the day, the tractor's warmed up then and you're shutting it off because you're done but it it might be noon by that time and you're out there it might be 30 below zero you're fighting you know hydraulic issues it's north dakota and we just wanted to limit our time having to be out i mean winter's good on a lot of days But on those days that you don't really want to be out there, you don't have to be out there. So we wanted to to limit the labor. And then also with the soil health, a lot of the farming that had been done from previous generations was done with no inputs. And the soils were completely depleted. The field that we focused on in our first project, it blew the wind erosion. All the topsoil blew away back in the 40s from my great-grandfather, and he couldn't raise anything at that point. He couldn't even raise oats. So he just walked away from it. And when I bought this place, there were large areas that it grew moss and lichen. There was very, very little forage there. So we wanted to jumpstart that by increasing organic matter and uh, the biological life in the soil, because obviously doing nothing was doing nothing. So this was our tool of, of both labor and soil health. So Drew and Aaron set out round bales of hay on end throughout the field, And as you heard Aaron describe, periodically give the cattle access to more of the bales. The combination of the cattle and the extra residue have benefits to the soil, but also the hay serves as a bedding for the cattle through the winter. And there's the added benefit of not having to deliver every day. You still need to balance their nutritional needs. So we do a mix. Well, the last couple of years, we've done mixes of grass and alfalfa, typically. Some cover crop bales were added in there and I've fed a little bit of straw or I've given it free choice but we found that when you feed with the tractor every day you go out the cows are more frantic like they're excited but they're also they're anxious to get to the hay they're running around they're pushing they're shoving You don't actually get to look at your cows very well because they're all milling around. But with bale grazing, they have free choice to all the hay they want. They walk around. They pick the bale that smells the best. Like for whatever reason, they can walk through 50 bales 
and find the one bale that they want to eat, and they'll eat it to the ground before they look at another bale. And so we try to do the balanced nutritional needs, but in the end, they're going to pick the best bales first and eat those, and then they're going to go on. But at the same point, they are a ruminant, so you have a larger window of meeting those nutritional needs. And um, two years ago, we supplemented because the hay was poor quality. We tested it all, and it was predominantly grass, but the protein was lacking. So I, I supplemented with some grain, and I would go out every three days. As much as possible, we want to limit the supplementation and meet their needs because the whole idea with bale grazing is it's a kind of a labor savings concept as well. And so if we are feeding them feed that is poorer quality and we have to turn around and supplement them, it's contradictory to part of our goal. Now, giving cattle access to all this hay definitely has its benefits. And as you're going to hear, some pretty dramatic improvements Aaron and Drew were able to make to the soil. But all this hay leaves residue. Interestingly, they can manage their residue, at least in part, through how they manage their cattle. Well, the first year, actually, it was still in an annual crop. So I needed to harrow it so I could get seed soil contact when I was seeding the perennial crop. The second year, it was planted to perennial. And so I didn't do anything. I left it and... The perennial alfalfa and grass grew right through those heavy residue spots. And I haven't had any issues with die out or, or anything. So I was quite surprised at, and happy with doing nothing was easier than spreading it and losing the nutrients. Part of managing that residue is a bit related to how you're managing those cows in those areas as well. And so, you know, when we were getting close to having to roll up that temporary fence and turn them into another section to graze, we may not go out there on those last couple days because they get used to our interaction with them. And they often know that when we come out to the field, that they will get access to a new set of bales. And so if we want them to clean up a little bit more, and sort of push them to manage through that residue just a bit, we will wait a day or two and not go out there. Because once we go out there, they'll be ready to move. And it will be much harder to keep them happy where they're at if we don't move them on that last day. How we manage the cows is often reflective of how that residue ends up being managed. But that's part of the reason why that temporary fence is nice too, because there are times when we know that a storm's coming or something's going on and it's just really simple to roll up that fence. We use step-in posts and poly wire and so a lot of that stuff gets set up in the fall before the ground freezes. So it's really easy to just roll up the fence and move them on into the next one and put up the next backup fence. And we do as much of that work as possible before the snow falls just because it's much easier to get it done. In the future, I'd like to um, pursue grazing the following year after bale grazing on a on a field, so that way they can 
instead of me having to harrow, if there's heavy residue spots, the cows can walk through it and hoof action will break that up. And then the year after that, use it as a hang. So rotate hay one year, graze one year is the direction I'd like to work towards. And maybe incorporating more of that organic matter into the soil can also really help develop that biological activity in the ground to help it become more productive too. Now, before we share the results Aaron and Drew are seeing, it's important to know that this experiment was supported in part through a cost share grant they were awarded from SARE. So the SARE program is the Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Program, and it is actually a decentralized competitive grant and education program, and it operates in every state. There are several different programs that can be participated in by both farmers and ranchers, as well as researchers, educators. I have participated in it through research at Central Grasslands, and Drew and I have participated in it through the Farmer Rancher Grants. So now to the punchline. What are the results of this bale grazing experiment Drew and Aaron have seen so far? So most of what we are looking at with bale grazing and our project is focusing on the soils. There are some assessments that we did with the first project that were related to more qualitative factors, and we also monitored some activity with pollinator species because we like to look at the diversity and we want the system as a whole to be really healthy and so that's kind of why we, we focused on a couple things that maybe aren't directly related to what our bigger goal is. But in terms of soil, we monitored things both indirectly and directly associated with the bales. And we noticed that samples that were taken directly underneath a bale where there was grazing, you know, all of those characteristics like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, some of the micronutrients, they are anywhere from doubled to tripled in their amounts. And we are seeing that part of that is easy to achieve on this ground because it was depleted to a point where there was so much inactivity that it was a very basic soil to start with. And so some of these responses, you know, they seem drastic, but we started on a piece of ground that needed a lot of work. And so those numbers are showing us that there's responses, but we aren't totally surprised by that, if that makes sense. With the pollinators, a lot of what we were looking at there is numbers associated with floral characteristics of the plants that we had. And so that first year, Drew talked about an annual crop, which was a cover crop species do you remember how many plants were in that cover crop mixture? There was 14 different species in that cover crop mixture. That was designed sort of as a pollinator planting so that we would have plants blooming throughout the full season. So they may not all be blooming at once, but they'd be spread throughout that whole season so that we could maintain pollinator activity and habitat for them. We also just, you know, tried to really monitor the cattle and Drew talked about it before a little bit. You know, these things aren't really 
super hard science things to monitor, but just like watching their behavior. And he alluded to them being anxious, you know, feeding with a tractor and watching them in the bale grazing and seeing how they're behaving, sort of assessing some of their general body condition. That's something that is really easy to do. Body condition scoring animals is a scale system. It's one through nine, and it helps you sort of rank the animals and how their fat reserves, how their current nutritional status is being maintained. And we do some of those basic things just to to make sure that we are meeting their needs. Just to give a, a number, the on one soil test spot, it had roughly three pounds of available nitrogen per acre and the direct bale grazing response went to 70 pounds of available nitrogen per acre. So, I mean, that's a drastic, drastic spot, but that was to show how change can be fueled. And in those bale spots, now that it's a perennial, the first cutting of hay, everything looked pretty even, except in those spots, the hay was a darker shade of green. You could count every single bale that I had fed in that field. And then the regrowth after cutting, the only thing that regrew taller than a foot was where a bale sat. And so it looks really strange because that field looks like it's got chicken pox or something. <laughs> On Google Earth, it has a bunch of crop circles. <laughs> it's it's very unique looking, but you just wish you had more bales and more cows, really, is where it goes to. Which is part of our interest in expanding with the second project and continuing is to hopefully spread out that impact so that it becomes a little bit more homogenous across that land base. So they definitely saw some of the positive improvements they were hoping for, with the caveat being that their baseline was pretty low to start. But Drew says even in the better areas of the field, he still saw promising results. Within that field that we used, there were some low bottom areas that were pretty productive. And I saw large responses there. Not as drastic as, you know, three pounds of available nitrogen to 70, but you still started off higher than that and you you ended up being higher. So there's still room for improvement. What we didn't see was the organic matter test improving, but that also makes sense because it's organic carbon at this point. It isn't into the soil yet because we're just awakening the biological side. So long term, we're really interested to see what changes are happening in the soil. It's probably not a big surprise to Drew, Aaron, or any of you listening that it is going to take time to build that soil organic matter. But other than that, the results are looking pretty good. Also, the alternative here is feeding these cattle every day throughout the winter. So as you've already heard Drew say, it's better for the cattle this way, and there are some cost and labor savings that go with that as well. There is an added cost of if you were to plug in your tractor or have a heated shop and have to maintain that to 
start your tractor and go out and feed every day. And then the diesel fuel every day versus taking one day in the fall and spreading your bales out, there is an added savings of, of that. And then you aren't rolling out bales. You aren't, you know, some people feed silage. Some people have a mixer wagon. They grind all their hay. And this, you aren't creating a total mixed ration. You are just putting the the feed out there and letting them feed themselves free choice. And right now we do have expenses associated with hauling in additional hay from other fields to meet the needs of the number of cattle that we're wanting to graze. But long term, if we were to look at doing this, you know, on a much bigger scale and spread this out and continue to do this, there's options for managing that cost as well. You know, we could do this on hayland acres and the hay that is put up on those acres could stay there. They could remain there and be grazed if we had a a certain number of cows that could be grazed based on those bales that were produced. If we needed more bales, we could stockpile those bales there for a year or two and we could bale graze them at a later date, which would mitigate those costs of hauling hay in. You know, we would just delay when we would be grazing those bales as long as we had, you know, it was sort of We would be rotationally grazing on acres that have enough stockpiled hay to be bale grazed. Yeah, I I find that a lot of producers forget that cattle have four legs and instead of hauling the hay to the cows and hauling the manure out to the field, just let your cows move to where your hay is produced you may have to add a pipeline or drill well to water those cattle and put up some temporary windbreaks, but let them spread the manure, let them eat. And if you need more bales, have another field set up to where you can just move them to that. And then they end up in um, a really much better condition prior to calving. They've spent time grazing, moving, being active. And so when they are getting ready to calve, they're in a much better physical state of well-being as well. Yeah, and the body condition score only covers one part of health, but when you go out and you see your cows and they're bucking and kicking and playing and it's completely different than an anxious cow running around, pushing and shoving, trying to get it hay like she's never eaten before. But she's perfectly fine i mean there's there's just physical things that you see that you don't normally see in a typical feeding for aaron and drew they're not trying to integrate this with a row crop system however they say there are a lot of opportunities to do some variation of bale grazing that may be a good fit for your specific needs yeah i think that's something that you know we're realizing more and more as people ask us questions about bale grazing and how it could work for them. Whether it's something that you do with cover crops and you do that sort of as a precursor to an annual crop or even a perennial planting, there's lots of different ways that bale grazing can be used. You know, we use it sort of as a way for feeding our cattle throughout that whole winter. 
And there's people that, you know, maybe don't want to jump into it on such a large scale. And they may implement bale grazing as a way to make sure that their cattle are fed just for the week while they're working in town. And they don't have all of that time to be spent doing chores in the mornings and the evenings in the dark. You know, they can set up some of those systems on the weekend and have that ready to go each week. And I guess how it looks in terms of row crop producers and people that just want to grow grass, there's a lot of different options depending on what your bigger goals are. Row crop producers would uh, have access to a lot more byproducts, whether it's straw and distillers and sunflower screenings, you know, all that type of stuff. And so bale grazing would be different for every producer. And, and that's basically what we did worked and we've changed every year. I mean, and this year I'm doing something a little different. Hopefully it, it works right for me, but every producer has different resources, different land and different objectives. And like Aaron said, if, if you're delivering mail and you can only be available on the weekends, what are you going to do to feed your cows during the week? As long as it meets your objectives and is positive, it's great. The gogglers put their bale grazing experiment right out by the highway for all to see. They don't mind people stopping by who tell them that their cows are out in their hayfield. In fact, they want it to be a demonstration. They've also appreciated that Sarah is willing to give them the flexibility to try some of their more out-of-the-box ideas. It's, it's really been refreshing in the terms of my family doesn't really think in the box, and that is kind of frowned upon with some government agencies that you try to work with. It has to be black or white and fit in this box, and if you don't qualify because of some stipulation but with Sarah Grant they want you to be the opposite of that they just want you to express why you want to try something different and they'll support you with that or you may have to explain in detail a little bit more of why and how but they entertain the ideas and the thought behind it and you don't have to appeal the process or just you know, you have support through it. It's been a great experience of looking for something new or different rather than looking at what has worked 20 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago is 20 years ago and some things work and some things don't. Everything goes on. Thank you so much to Drew and Aaron Gogler for sharing this project with us on the show. Also want to give a special shout out to the North Central Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Program for their support of the Soil Sense podcast. Thanks as well to our sponsors of Season 3, the North Dakota Corn Council, the North Dakota Wheat Commission, the North Dakota Barley Council, and the North Harvest Dry Bean Association. If you want more information about any of the topics discussed here, check out our website, www.ndsoilsense.com, and we'll see you at the Dirt Workshop. But in the meantime, we're excited to bring you another great episode next week.